Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM podcast network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bow. And this week, we're turning to a remixing of the old haunt that is the Layers of Fear series with Bloober Team and Anshar Studios recently released reimagining 2023's Layers of Fear, which blends the following 2016's Layers of Fear, the DLC chapter The Inheritance, 2019's Layers of Fear 2, while also boasting a brand new DLC chapter titled The Final Note, as well as an all-new narrative, The Lighthouse, which acts as a hub world tying all of these different layers of the series together. Also, as a note, I was provided a review code from Bloober's PR team for this discussion. So as you know, Neil, we chatted about Layers of Fear 2 early in Safe Room's history, for whatever reason, before chatting about the original, <laughs> but we did recently chat with Prince Jackson to chat about the original game, and we got into some great detail about, you know, what really makes that game stand out for all three of us, um, you know, this many years after its release, and despite the fact that it was this sort of very, very much a primer, I think, in sort of blending the walking simulator approach with something that was more overtly horror. It kind of felt like the answer to what, you know, genre fans had wanted after mm. playing something like, you know, Gone Home is the easy example where it's setting up to be this ghost story, but then it doesn't necessarily have the horror payoff that we were anticipating or really wanting. And then once Layers of Fear came out, right, it was this thing where it's like, oh, this is the exploration of the haunted house that we wanted with something like Gone Home. Mm. Um, and this is a really interesting sort of remake, reimagining of the Layers of Fear series. You know, we've talked a lot about remakes recently, but this is the one that I'm really impressed with because it feels like a reimagining of the series as a whole rather than just one particular title in the sense that it's blending all of these different entries that I mentioned. Yeah, I mean, somehow... It's a sequel, a remake, a reimagining, a reboot, and a retcon, all in one. It's like, depending on what, (laughs) yeah, some of those can be chalked off in the future, no doubt. But I think more than anything, it feels like the closing of a chapter. You know, this this journey they've had from, you know, making shitty Bomberman clones that need, you know, they've got so badly canned for, they had to make a better version of it, you know, which led them onto this path to Layers of Fear and, yeah, I think it's one of the biggest jumps in terms of like game quality and style between games I've seen from a developer. Um, up to the fact that you know they're about to be making Silent Hill two, uh, you know, again, and so before they do that, this is on many levels just like the last hurrah with what the old Blue Team were and what Blue Team are becoming. I think you know, and probably the one they wanted more than say the medium, which you know, for many reasons, did not turn out as well as uh, they would have hoped. And that's great because it, it makes this a very fascinating project to approach as a fan of Layers of Fear, as someone who had things to like and dislike about Layers of Fear too. It was nice to see the idea of let's connect the dots. Now, doing so after the facts can be a bit of a tricky one. Because there's no reason to say they were really connected beyond basic ideas of like layers of fear, whatever. Um, the tortured artist trope. Yeah, that's it, which is the main thing. Great. But now, you know, you have this whole new narrative that ties it all together, the, something that connects everything together to say that they're all, everything that happens in each story is connected. <laughs> And it's a strange mishmash on the surface as a result because I don't think necessarily that the stories really gel together in that way. I think something we'll probably get into is when you get past the majority of the game, which is the original game, the DLC, and the new story that we have, Layers of Fear 2 kind of feels like an afterthought as a result. It just feels like separate from the rest of what's going on, even with the new stuff. And I just think that's because of where it comes in the story. I think, I know we're talking early doors here with this, sort of tearing it apart and picking apart and analysing each piece, but at points I wished that it wasn't like you would just approach each game individually, you know, it's bit by bit by bit, but more of a mix and mash thing of like 
flitting between stories and you know tying things up in different ways you know, which they they do sort of do a little bit of like taking breaks from stories to go to another story um a couple of times but a bit more of that would have been interesting but you know that that's yeah you know, that's very broad stuff for now yeah so i guess for people that are not aware you know this new lighthouse narrative basically sets it up so that way you know it is the hub world essentially where this writer wins this contest where they get to be secluded on this island to finish their next you know magnum opus which is very much in line with layers of fear and the torture artist trope that has been uh, the recurring theme throughout every single layer of the series mm. and so you know it's them sitting down to write which then kicks off the original layers of fear but as you mentioned you know periodically there are these breaks where the writer gets up from their keyboard and they are, you know, investigating the lighthouse, which to be fair, is this smaller environment, right? Yeah. But at the same time, you know, you're learning about how this art artist is tortured in their own ways and, you know, how they are this fitting sort of vessel, if you will, for re-exploring the Layers of Fear series. And, you know, I think the one thing that I was a fan of was those breaks in that there is a inherent sort of issue specifically with the second game where it kind of begins to feel like this one note, if you will, where it's like, okay, I'm walking through this various corridors of this ship and whatnot. I'm personal, and this is a very much a me thing. I'm not super invested in the story of the second game. So it makes that game feel a lot longer. But if anything, the breaks, I think really do help me to get through that second section. But at the same time, what it did was for me personally, it allowed me to experience the DLC of The Inheritance, mm which was DLC for Layers of Fear, the original game. And so I played through the original Layers of Fear. I got, I believe, one or two chapters into Layers of Fear 2. And then you have one of those breaks where you're exploring the lighthouse. And then you have the option of playing the Inheritance DLC. Hmm. And, you know, that was a really fantastic bit of pacing, I thought, because I finished Layers of Fear. I don't immediately want to continue that story because I kind of am like, I want a little bit of a break. I want to go replay the second game, see if that game lands for me differently, or more importantly, find mm. the differences between the original and this reimagining. And so getting to take periodic breaks and experience the Layers of Fear Inheritance DLC, which then you know takes me back to the original house of the setting and whatnot, and then kind of jumping between these experiences, actually, I pr greatly prefer because it didn't allow me to necessarily get burnt out on either Layers of Fear or Layers of Fear 2. Yeah. You know, pl granted, playing both games and two DLC chapters in a very short of amount of time, like it's unavoidable that you're going to be, you know, cramming at certain instances, but I thought overall from a structurally narrative standpoint, that I greatly preferred to right from the outset being like, okay, Layers of Fear, Layers of Fear DLC, Layers of Fear 2. And then this new DLC. Mm. Um, so in that instance, I thought the lighthouse narrative that ties everything together was a pretty ingenious way to actually, you know, make all of the layers of the series kind of be stacked with one another. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not going to say that the narrative that's included with the lighthouse is like uh, necessarily pushing the series in a new direction or even being a standout from what is being repackaged and whatnot, but it's very fitting, I'll say, and it's the most appropriate vessel for wrapping everything up together in this series. Yeah, and I think one of the problems the wraparound has is that depending on how you approach certain parts of the narrative, because yeah, those, those DLC stories do come about just after you finish Layers of Fear, I think you can access them at any point as, as books on your in that little um, hub space. I love that hub space as an idea as well. And the and the idea that you know, this is someone writing those stories we know, which are in themselves are based on some truth in that world of stuff that happened in the years, but because you know the lighthouse section takes place in 1955, well after the rest of these stories have been told. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to see the connections in that regard. Um, what doesn't quite work there as i said is that you have this whole disconnection sometimes where the narrative of the main you know hub world is going on 
and you feel like you're missing something because you haven't been given the context of something else. So if you haven't played like the DLC, which I wouldn't even call DLC now, they're the extra parts of the story, then you kind of get a bit of a confusing issue with that. Now, one of those, I think, comes to the new part of the original Layers of Fear story, which now focuses on the wife. You know, before we'd had the artist and his daughter and you know, the wife, who is you know, very much the focus of the whole thing, really, when you think about it, now has this whole new story of her own, which you know, I will stay straight out of the way, is my favourite part of this entire game. You know, I think not just in terms of how it's structured, but just in terms of how it looks visually, gets the most out of this jump to Unreal 5 in terms of like stylistically making it look impressive and taking that house for the third time and really just stamping down a very, you know, the most Silent Hill-esque thing about the entire game, you know, which you know, feels like the, the furthest push to what they're going to be doing. You know, and I, that was the thing for me that filmed, filmed with the most confidence for what that developer could do with Silent Hill 2. Um, so yeah, without playing that first, there is a section in the main wraparound where you know you find the writer is obsessed with like that wife and what she went through, and you know, that's like how she's channeling the story, you know, and that does play through, and how the game plays through, and how the, those extra stories play through. So, but with that extra context, it like it really does just sort of add so much flavor and. Yeah, it's a shame that you can kind of miss that by doing things in the wrong order because, you know, you could take on the wife's story first or second or whatever. And depending on, like you said, you, you came to it um, partway through playing Layers of Fear 2. And, you know, at that point as well, stuff has happened you know, in, in the main story. So, yeah, the wraparound doesn't work as well as it should, which is a shame because I think at its heart, it does such a great job of, you know, tying everything together in a way that makes sense. Without, you know, whilst you can kind of roll your eyes a little at it and go, yeah, okay, yeah, you had to find some reason to make all this stitch together, but you're not the first, you know, that, that's been happening as long as, you know, entertainment has existed. George Lucas is very famous for doing just that, you know. Just going, oh, actually, you know, this happened and that happened and that happened and that happened and, uh, after the fact. It's fine. Yeah, you can do that. If it's your cre- you know, creation, your property, you can say what the fuck you want about it. Yeah, and you can change it how you want. And yeah, that's where the retcon sort of aspect of this game comes in, where, you know, it's changing what was and making it a, almost a cohesive whole that on one level or another kind of feels like commentary on that journey blueberry team have been on yeah well not only just their journey but i think that perhaps what worked for me a little bit more than for you was that i appreciated the sort of like piecing together these connections Mm -hmm. right and it's not always very cleanly connected it doesn't always feel like it's as cohesive as it could be but overall you know i think that that and maybe it's me making excuses a little bit, but it just it feels as if it's indicative of this idea of a story being told from multiple points of view. And I have always interpreted layers of fear in the various chapters as, you know, not really being able to take any one perspective at face value. Um, you know, it goes on with the fact that the painter in the original is like this drunk, right? Yeah. And then there's also inklings of mental illness in these things. And so you know, when I view the series as a whole through that lens, it is the type of thing where, you know, a little bit of a lack of cohesion actually works better for me. I also like having the option of breaking up the various narratives and attacking them in an order of my choosing. Yeah. Again, that's a very like personal way that I want to approach a multitude of experiences in a very short sitting. But I found overall that it helped to quell some of my issues with Layers of Fear 2. But I think before we talk about, you know, new additions to past games that we've already chatted about, <clears throat> I do want to come back and chat about the final note, which is a brand new DLC chapter yes. that, as you mentioned, focuses on the wife. Because as you mentioned, that is the best addition, I think, mm. to this game in that they are using this reimagining and recontextualizing of the series 
to basically tell a chapter of a story that you couldn't not want to see the point of view of, right? Because as you mentioned also, she is very much integral to the original Layers of Fear experience. And in replaying the original Layers of Fear, it was the type of thing where, and I admittedly did not know about the final notes inclusion into this, you know, when I finished Layers of Fear, I was like, man, the fact that we never got to have the wife's input on anything past a letter that we found or this or that is kind of a glaring omission because of how prominent that character is in the overall narrative and the story and the character's lives and whatnot. So to have not only her point of view, but have a environment, and as you mentioned, revisiting an environment for now the third time, right? That could very easily be something that could have felt laborious Mm. or it could have been this thing where I'm like, I am done with this house. I don't ever want to see this house again (laughs) as long as I live. But the fact that they're able to make the house reflect her own very personal, you know, struggles, her own personal strife, which she has been, you know, dealing with throughout the Layers of Fear game. But more importantly, we've only heard the male point of view on her experience. So to get to see the world through her eyes and also, you know, her perception of what she refers to as, you know, her shackles right after her accident and whatnot, and really get to live her story from her point of view, rather than again, a male point of view, or even that of, you know, her child, which is a valid point, but it's still not her experience. Um, I thought was not only from a narrative standpoint, really impressive, but the unreal five tech of bringing that to life. It has this, you know, Hellraiser vibe where there's chains everywhere to show, you know, her symbolic shackles, if you will, of her injuries that prevent her from being the artist that she herself was very prominent Mm -hmm. as before that accident um, was just a really fantastic, I thought, opportunity to finalize a story that chances are they had to cut for one reason or another or something along those lines. Yeah. I mean, now that you have this sort of trio perspectives and how that makes the house look, it really does just offer something very fascinating. Now, I, I know that after reviewing this, there were certain reviews going on about how it wasn't scary. I mean, we've gone on about this before. It doesn't fucking matter you know, if you find something scary or not. But it really kind of misses the point, especially with this, where you know it's a game about you know, acceptance, uh, regret, and obsession. And you are getting different views of that of the house based on that, you know, and... You know, in the artist's uh, you know, story, we are getting this maze that is basically tr- where he's trying to reach the goal of making that perfect painting, you know, which uh, no matter where he turns, wh- which way the maze takes him, it's never going to give him what he wants. It's The maze is there to torment him. That's how he sees the house, you know, something to beat uh, to achieve that goal. Yeah, and the daughter comes in and it evokes her childhood memories in terms of it being like hand-drawn crayon stuff and you know, perspective shifts you know, a couple of times where you, you are small in the environment and stuff like that. It just, that's great. You know, there's, even in that, there's great changes. Um, well, there's even a section when in the final note when the wife comes across that room where she finds, you know, countless or endless almost uh, portraits that the artist mm. had drawn of her. And, you know, from one point of view, you're like, oh, wait, he he had already completed this thing in almost seemingly, you know, perfection because of the portraits and how pristine they are. But to her, it's a very painful reminder. Yeah. So I liked the idea of, you know, attacking something from, as we've said, multiple points of view, whether it's the artist, whether it's the daughter, or whether it's the wife, it's like, you can reuse or recontextualize things from past games, yeah. but you gain so much more appreciation for it from a narrative standpoint once you get that input from somebody that was basically silent in the original. Yeah, and I did like that her story doesn't just make it about, you know, he's an arsehole, he's a, it's also about her very her own feelings about how confident she is to venture into the public eye again, knowing that she's lost something. You know, in that time where she isn't the person she was, and there's resentment and there's bitterness, and the prison is as much of her making as it is, you know, anyone else keeping her there. And that's represented again in how, you know, the spirit, you know, appears throughout all three stories is, you know, it's supposed to be her, really. 
and it's still coming after her because it's that side of her, the side of her that's trying to keep her there and keep it trapped in this place. And yeah, the chains being such a big motif for this is brilliant because there's some branching story choices here, you know, which basically decide whether she's accepting her situation or won't break out of it. And, and it's very easy to see how it goes one way, one way or the other. You know, I think because it's the new part and because, you know, Believer has grown as a developer in lots of ways, it shows that a bit more you know, in this like short form style that's very much very close to what they were um and excuse kind of some of the stuff they had to do with like Blair Witch or the medium and stuff like that it, it's much more in line or even layers of it too it's very much in line with that you know whole explosion of we wanted to make a horror game a horror narrative game here we go yeah and yeah it, it's for me the thing that ties that whole reimagining remake thing together for that side of the game because everything feels better for having it yeah it becomes a better story overall having these different perspectives and the little tweaks that have been made to the core story as well and they really just sell how each people person in the story has a sympathetic thing i mean the door is you know blameless really you know, when it comes to her story but you know it's the perspectives and things that that story does show you that you know it's never going to show you that oh it's her fault but it does manifest how she feels and how she feels responsible even though she's not and she's desperately trying to understand her father in those moments and yeah that's the great thing as much as there's all this stuff about how this person blames the other person for their troubles constantly there's genuine interest in showing the other side of it where it's not that simple of oh no they were terrible to me and they made me this person like that wrong or right and they're showing the side where it's like you might need this person you know and not just as you know amuse or inspiration or whatever it's I need this person for my life to function properly. You know, there's a love story in there that is terribly tragic and we don't get to see the happy side of it ever. Really. We get these fragments of memories of what it could have been and what it was and the attempts to make it work, but it never really gets too bubbled to the surface because we come into it when everyone's haunted by what's happened or happening. Yeah, but I think also, you know, having more context for the wife is really important to having this full sort of realization of, you know, oh, this was actually at one point this happy family yeah. or at least a family that, you know, had a basis in something other than the hell that we see their life devolve into. And you really, you know, you could, of course, based on the various letters and notes are written by one party or the other in the original and sort of begin to formulate some some semblance of what their life was like before all of this unfolds. More importantly, though, you know, having the wife's point of view, but also I think it's the other people's points of view of the wife's role in the family dynamic breaking down, which comes across in those letters, right? Which is the primary method of storytelling in these games is going through these different letters, but in seeing how people outside of the house were responding to her and her discussing, you know, my husband is basically succumbing to alcoholism. There is this, you know, potentially mental illness in these things and people giving her advice that feels accurate for the time period, right? It's up to the wife to, you know, deal with whatever for the sanctity of the household and these things. But more importantly, you know, when it starts to delve more into her own personal, um, I suppose, tortured artist narrative where it's like, okay, she's had this accident and she's unable to perform in the way that she wants to. She's, you know, staying in the house and doesn't want to go out and these things. And the solutions for that are, oh, well, you're a a woman, so you're hysterical. You can either, you know, suck it up and deal with it or we can commit you, right? That's kind of the feedback that she gets from these other people. So you start to understand more and more about these characters and the predicaments that they're in. And it – 
I think what I'm trying to say is, is that it makes it feel a little less contrived, I suppose, the hostility mm. that you encounter early on in the game when you have this full context yes. of, you know, why you have these exterior factors outside of a haunting that make this such a, at times, very chaotic household, but at the same time, you know, a detriment to everything sort of unfolding. And again, you know, the attention to making an environment that now you the player has explored hypothetically three times and it be just as refreshing through the visual style of that character's pain and their point of view, I think is an incredible testament to Bloober Team. And to be perfectly honest, I don't think 2016's Bloober Team or, you know, even 2019's Bloober Team would have approached this perhaps with the same amount of, I don't want to say care, but perhaps detail or wherewithal to make the final note be as impactful and really be the, I think the ribbon Mm. on that original experience as it is um, without sort of maybe some of the pains that studio has gone through and evolved throughout the various years. Yeah. It's there for all to see. I think you you have that perfect sort of through line. You know, you mentioned those letters, you know, most of which are from, wife's friend Beatrice and uh, it is very telling that you know the early letters are encouraging her to sort of you know we understand how hard it is for you you know blah 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 yeah but you know you've got to stay strong for your family and your husband like that and that and you know then you get towards the end and you get those letters where she's talking about you know she wants to perform again even though the pain is too hard and and like and then having that same friend quickly turn say you're ridiculous to thinking that you could do this. You know, you aren't the same, but have you seen yourself sort of thing? And it's genuinely a quite a shocking sort of letter to have after that point. And you can see more and more of why that leads her version of this place to be so prison-like and so full of chains because it, it's about her personal confidence, you know, and you know, as much as she desires to be the person she once was, she's trapped on so many levels, you know, trapped by a husband who's not dealing with what happened to her in a way, in any way, shape or form, a daughter who's becoming more distant because of this problem. And, you know, her friend group and other people just sort of not treating her like she was, you know, pitying her and, and then scolding her effectively when she dares try to, write her own life and it's probably the most tragic of all the stories told in that well treating her the way that she fears that the general public will treat her right i think there's there's two letters that stick out the most that really reinforce that one is from beatrice which i think she even says something along the lines of like um i can't even recognize your handwriting or something Mm. like that which we the player know is like a great struggle and a difficulty because of the injury right and so to see Beatrice not only be like, well, you kind of got to take this on the chin for the sake of your marriage when she's been detailing the abuse and the volatile nature of her marriage and how it's crumbling. So on one hand, there's that. And then you get to read a letter or a diary entry from the husband who says like, oh, I heard music and it sounded like a dead cat screaming or something like that. And it's the type of thing where it's like, it's very painful. I, th- I think it's reinforced by the fact that it's her reading these things that people are saying about her. Yeah. It's not letters that feel left over from the original layers of fear because when you're in her own shoes and you're reading these things, it makes that her reality just that much more sort of acidic, I suppose. It just it makes for something that is a lot more somber of an experience than when I was playing through as the painter, right? Whereas with the painter, it's part of it might be mental illness. The other half is, you know, succumbing to alcoholism and allowing that to fuel his rage in the way that an excuse for why he treats people the way he treats them. Yeah. But then you have this person that has been a victim of circumstance and victim of, you know, their husband's shortcomings in these things. And it really just further reinforces that, again, there are people in this narrative from the beginning that have basically been blameless to a certain degree. Mm. And it just kind of reinforces the tragedy of layers of fear, um, which I think if anything, you know, it humanizes the trope of the tortured artist a lot more than I think we typically see. Typically when 
a game dabbles in the tortured artist trope or even a film, it's largely from one point of view. And Layers of Fear, I've always appreciated for giving us multiple perspectives of the same narrative. Um, even with Layers of Fear 2, which I'm still not a huge fan of after replaying it, I think it's an improved upon, probably the most improved rendition of that game that we've gotten yeah. so far. But I think that even with something like that, Bluebird taking great strides to allow us to see multiple points of view in one story is something admirable. And I think that ultimately that um, is one of their talents as storytellers. While we've seen examples of that being a little messier than we would have liked, I think with Layers of Fear, it feels probably the most refined. But uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we can chat a little bit more about some of those technological upgrades that Layers of Fear have received in this new reimagining, but also a new gameplay edition that is seen throughout each of these chapters. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, it gives uh, one of the chapters in this game a little bit more, I suppose, getting its second wind, if you will, in terms of how we felt about it the first time around. But more on that in a moment. And we are back from our break. And probably the most notable addition from a gameplay standpoint is the lantern, mm. which is prevalent in each of the sections of Layers of Fear. And that is, you know, in the original, it is quite literally a lantern. And then in Layers of Fear 2, it's a flashlight. And so this new addition is twofold in that it not only helps to illuminate the environments, but more importantly, it is a critical tool in these sections where the player is being pursued by a ghost, right? And that was a feature of the original game. But here, they are not only, you know, more prevalent, but the lantern allows the player to not only illuminate an area, but to freeze basically the ghost for short periods of time. And, you know, that affects the charge basically of the lantern, which is constantly sort of regenerating itself. Um, you know, for the original Layers of Fear, I always felt that those sections were probably the weakest because you're kind of like being pursued by this force. You have no real means of defense other than to flee, which personally I'm not typically a huge fan of in games. So giving the player an actual means of combating that other than can I run through this environment as quickly as possible um, is a plus yeah. in my opinion. And it allows some of those sections that are a little bit longer where you're being pursued to not feel as tedious, I suppose, of like, okay, make sure you slam this door shut and then keep running, keep running, keep running, look for that one puzzle piece you need, and then kind of make a beeline to the next uh, section. So in terms of its inclusion in the original game, I think it's a fine addition, but it, for me, it doesn't necessarily like rewrite that experience. No. Where I think it is most notable, and it does rectify a major issue that I had, was with Layers of Fear 2. Layers of Fear 2, when we discussed it previously, you know, I believe, my memory serves me correct, we both had issues with the lengthy chase sections yes. that they had, of which there were several. And I think that the Lantern edition, for me, largely rectifies that and makes it much more involving. It gives the player more immediacy in what they're doing other than okay, I'm going to run and I'm going to slam this door shut and then I'm going to run, do the same thing six or seven times and the sequence will be over. In this edition, you can not only freeze the ghost that is pursuing you, but you also come across these very brief and, you know, I say environmental puzzle. They're not really puzzles, but you come across these environmental obstacles that basically you have to shine the flashlight on that make them move. Mm -hmm. um, and what I mean by that is that in Layers of Fear 2, you come across these mannequins that are carrying out certain actions, but they're frozen. And if you shine the flashlight on them, they carry out that action. More often than not, it's a mannequin moving a box or falling out of the way or something like that. You know, it's not a huge shift in how you play those games, but I thought it was just enough interactivity that it lended more player urgency and also it gave the player something to do other than just sort of aimlessly flee through these hallways um, how did you feel about those additions primarily and their effect on Layers of Fear 2? Yeah, in Layers of Fear 2, it's well done because we already had established that you had these chase sequences and they felt okay at that point already because you know I, I've very much gone on about how much I dislike what Outlast does. 
in terms of its chase mechanics and stuff like that. And it just felt like that a lot of the time. And it's like, it, it ruined any chance of getting into the story uh, for me. You know, it, while that story has its own problems anyway, it, it had enough in it to be worth investing in. But yeah, when you have stuff like that sort of pushing away at that, it, it's a similar problem um, Frictional Games had with Soma, you know, three years prior, you know, where the monsters were so intrusive on a storytelling side of the game that they, if it, you know, years later they, they patched it out so that they didn't interfere and you could appreciate that story a bit more. And, you know, that, as we said, led to the way that series went. And, you know, I wondered that we'd get something similar here. And while not like the perfect compromise, it's something. You know, I think uh, to have this lantern torch mechanic, um, it is very simplistic beyond that. I mean, if you're going to be very sort of cynical about it, it's like very Alan Wake, you know, and love how it works. You know, it shine a light on the enemy, it dissipates. Um, the great thing here, at least, is that it only dissipates for a short while um, and then it can just reappear from anywhere. It's, it's kind of got a cool sort of ghosty it follows vibe to what goes on where you know you can dissolve uh the ghost in one place run along and it can appear in front of you again uh just like that um nowhere is that more clear i think than in the original games extra episodes you know where there is a section where in the new story where you basically are being pursued for a long time yeah, and it does just keep coming and keep coming, keep coming, and it really does feel so intense. You know, I think the escalation in that first game is so important in tying the feeling of all these games together in any way, shape, or form. Is because you know there's such a distinct jump from what Layers of Fear was to what Layers of Fear Two was. You know, having these chase sequences, which did feel like other people are doing it, so maybe we should sort of thing, and it it was the best. It, it didn't need to happen necessarily, but it just wasn't handled well, you know, and that's the main thing. Now, you know, one of the main things about this game is writing wrongs and getting it to a place where it deserves to be. I'm still not sure if it's the best way to handle it, but I think it does take back one of the main issues of Layers of Fear Two. Yeah, I think where you can appreciate. The story a little bit more and enjoy it a bit more as a game. I mean, there's several factors in, that, uh, in this remake of it that make it great, you know, the visuals being one of them. But that does, yeah, I, I kind of dreaded it, I must say, coming into it. You know, but because I'd seen what they'd done with the original game and the DLCs, I was thinking, it's not going to be so jarring now. That's good. And it wasn't. It wasn't so jarring. So that that is probably one of the biggest credits in terms of improving any of these games is by changing the earlier games to fit an overall sort of style. It's more comfortable going into Layers of Fear 2 and, and you can kind of appreciate more of what it's actually doing. You know? Yeah, you know, I'll be frank, Layers of Fear 2 is still a game that I'm not nearly as captivated by as the original Layers of Fear. I, I'm not nearly as engaged with the narrative. I don't think that the environments are nearly as interesting and they don't reflect to the same degree the subjects, I suppose, personal hell mm -hmm. as well as, you know, the artist and the house and whatnot, in my opinion. I was a big fan of the fact that that lantern mechanic is introduced in the original and then the ways in which they adapt that to Layers of Fear 2, the fact that, you know, they utilize it in those chase sequences, but also in just navigating the world in general, mm -hmm. there are those brief moments of you come across one of these mannequin obstructions and then you have to, you know, play yeah. out either them moving an object or sometimes it's them acting out like a scene in a play or a movie or something along those lines, mm -hmm. which, you know, is this brief little thing, but... Again, if you're giving me something to do more than just again walking, uh, that's always a that's always a positive in my book. So, 
those moments are very brief. And overall, you know, I'm not going to say that it fundamentally changes my feelings on the sequel, but that was an example of them scaling a new edition in a way that felt very natural. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, obviously going from a lantern to a flashlight, but just giving it more abilities, I suppose, uh, than just kind of pausing an enemy or illuminating an environment mm. um, was one of those little things that I thought they implemented well enough, right? It didn't feel overly glaring. It didn't feel like it was ill-fitting, if you will, to include it. Um, you know, I'm sure there could have been other utilizations or even utilize it more. But at the same time, I feel that it made that chase sequence that was such a sore spot in the original, the type of thing where I'd barely thought twice about it afterwards. It. And, you know, I think that also, and I'm not sure about, you know, if my memory serving me correct or not, but with the second game, I felt that the either the save system was a little more, uh, I suppose, not as harsh or something along those lines because there's two sections where, you know, in one of them you're avoiding this beam of light. Mm. And I felt like every time that I got caught by that or killed by that, originally it sent me all the way back to the experience where the save points are a little more generous here. But then also there's a section where you're running through the dark and you basically have to like fire cannons that have flares that illuminate where you're supposed to go. And that also felt a little more forgiving instead yeah. of sending you all the way back to square one. Um, so perhaps part of why Layers of Fear 2, I wasn't as frustrated by this time, was that it's a little more generous with uh, not having the player start from square one per chapter, so to speak. But um, I still overall, you know, the narrative I don't find to be nearly as, uh, I suppose, affecting as the original. But at the same time, the way that I played the game, I got to break it up with the portions of mm. Layers of Fear that I had missed previously. And I mentioned to you <clears throat> that I had never played Inheritance before. Yeah. And Inheritance, I thought, again, talk about putting the player in another point of view shoes for this story that's being told. And not only you know getting the narrative side of their experience – but more importantly, it, the way in which the player explores the world is reflective of the participant of the inheritance, which is the daughter. So you have that perspective shift of like being a small child and looking at this world. Also, the art style, it's not so much focused on a one-to-one -one reiteration of exploring the house, but more importantly, you know, it's re-experiencing it through the eyes or the palette of a child. So the art style is like very cartoonish at times. Yeah. And these different things, um, you know, you're not walking across, uh, walking upstairs, but you're walking up like uh, shelf drawers, basically, mm -hmm. because you're a child, like little things like that, I thought did a good job of capturing the subject's point of view. And actually, it was like a worthwhile revisiting that further fleshes out that narrative, which is what we've been saying. Yeah, I mean, it's also that recurring theme of being perceived as a doll. Yeah, for the door as well, which yeah, you know, I think having that sort of walking up step, yeah, steps at the drawers and things like that sort of comes across as well, where she's aware of it but not, you know, and it kind of represents itself in the father's story as well. Um, just going back to Layers of Fear Two, though, it's the interesting thing is if it was a standalone remake of that game, I think it would do very well. In its in what it's doing, I think it would improve that game massively, and that that would be a great thing. The problem it has, which is what I went to, into at the beginning, is that it just still feels really distant from the rest of this package because the the core of this story is very much focused on that first game and the stories of that first game, because you know Layers of Fear Two doesn't have that DLC. Uh, stuff it doesn't have the extra stories and its own story is told from a perspective that doesn't actually reflect the story being told and it's very odd as a result you know it kind of feels like it doesn't matter almost yeah i know and <laughs> yeah so you are a conduit effectively for that story which sure works in some way uh if you're going into some sort of like very deep idea of you know the actors you know the style of doing things and getting into character but it doesn't come across very well you know I, I think it just ends up feeling like you're hearing someone else's story through somebody else and then there are a bunch of 
references to things that feel just like homages for the sake of it rather than because they matter because you know, pretty much every film reference here is like post the time it's taking place um even though they are really well done and i really like them yeah i i still think that's one of my favorite things about layers of fear too is just the, it, when it recreates certain shots from certain films is genuinely quite impressive and you know it's never like the very typical things you see in video games where it's like oh yeah that's clearly that scene from the shining or some shit like that it's like there are like really particular shots really very very particular and yeah not not like the iconic ones not just necessarily but just things that happen within certain films and i love that because it feels like you know there is where it does connect best i think because you have this feeling of like the celebration of the obsession over the artist, you know, and like striving, knowing what you have been inspired by, knowing what will inspire you, losing your inspiration, all these things coming together and just that thought process and different levels of it, you know, you know, because nobody's story is irrelevant in that, you know, the daughter's story is still relevant because she's very much looking up to her dad and wanting to be like him and also like her mother and, you know, the weight of expectation that comes with that. And it's amazing, you know, like that to see that carry through every single story. And like, if you could really sort of boost one thing about Layers of Fear, Fear 2 story is that, you know, while it is telling the story of two children in her stowaways, at least it does feel like a connected idea, like a very childlike idea of, the movies and creating stories for yourself and like building characters and it very much does start at childhood and that's that is the best personification of what they're doing there it's just the way they structure it doesn't quite click and it, yeah it clicks better here than it did but it's still not quite there yeah i would say i agree with that it's more it's one of those things. I don't want to say it feels like more attention was paid to one aspect over the other, but I find that Layers of Fear 2023 does a much better job at connecting this new lighthouse narrative to Layers of Fear mm-hmm. and the you know the inheritance and also this new chapter, the final note. And then it feels like there was one or two more steps they could have taken to making Layers of Fear 2 maybe fit a little bit better than it does. Um, from a gameplay standpoint, though, I will say... I think that, you know, their ability to blend that new gameplay mechanic was done pretty seamlessly in terms of going from the original to the sequel. It's just in terms of where Layers of Fear 2's narrative fits, it still does kind of feel like that little bit of a mishmash. Um, But with this, you know, reimagining, recontextualizing, one of the biggest additions is the utilization of Unreal Engine 5. Mm. You know, all the benefits of that. Ray tracing, HDR, 4K resolution. I mean, this game already looked phenomenal. You know, when we revisited the original Layers of Fear to chat with Prince about it, I mean, it still looked fantastic. And to play it now in Unreal 5 is, I mean, even more gorgeous. And I think that something like uh, the final note being created with that tech and whatnot is what really sells that in a way that I don't know necessarily they could have previously because um, really, it is the type of thing that just it it looks phenomenal. This is probably the best uh, current get gen game I've played. In terms of visuals, yeah, it, yeah. In, ter- in terms of visuals, yeah, yeah. I mean, it has the old technical hiccup. There's no doubt about that. Because um, when and I do wonder if that's why it, it kind of reigns in some of the tricks of the original version you know, and doesn't go crazy with the look behind you all things change thing. Um, uh, because there are times where, like, a door yeah, doors shut behind you a lot of the time. But, yeah, the problem is the the posting of you trying to get past that door and door shutting doesn't always correlate. So you might just get, like, clipped by the door and you have this weird thing where the animation sort of clips through. Like, you basically get booted and then booted in the ass by a door. And, <laughs> and it's just funny in its own right, but just it... The game kind of gets away with it, much like the original did when you had some moments that were clearly iffy. 
is because it's a game of like things are constantly changing that you kind of smooth it out and go, yeah, okay, it's part of what's going on. Um, But yeah, visually, it's just amazing to go back to places that you knew from the original game. I mean, Layers of Fear too. Yeah, as much as we've just talked about the bad parts of that and you know how underwhelming certain aspects may be. Visually, wow. I'm I really I really like the idea of going around a boat, you know, in the first place with that game. And it just feels great to go around that boat, you know, and how bright and involving it is in its own right compared to the mansion in the original game. And, you know, even the lighthouse, you know, as small as it is, it has its familiar spots that you, you know where to go after, like, a one time round it. And since everything is really well designed, yeah, I think the only thing that kind of feels a bit off in this new sort of visual style is, like, water. You know, I think, like, whether it be the sea, whether it be rain running down the windows or taps running, doesn't quite kind of a, a Play-Doh look sometimes, you know, which I think it's just, sometimes that's hard. And water is difficult in many cases. You know, if you're in that game, if you have you know, like liquid in a bottle or something when you pick it up, that moves quite well, you know, and that's fun to sort of go around. But, yes, yeah, sometimes you look at water running down a window or whatever, and it just doesn't look quite right compared to the rest of the game and what's going on. Because, you know, the lighting fantastic you know just how it makes these holes look and the way everything's framed i mean the original game did a pretty good job at that anyway but now with this added emphasis of being stalked around certain areas and when you hear that musical beat and you just see that spirit loom into view it's genuinely pretty damn good you know it really does just hit you, that real stalking vibe, you know, and it's never really that much of a threat that nothing really technically happens bad because, you know, you wake up back in a room or whatever. But at the same time, it's like you are very much keen to sort of avoid and get on with it. And the audio design, again, is another thing. It has to be commended. It makes it like if you use that lantern or torch or whatever to sort of, you know, dissolve the spirit temporarily and you haven't got very far away because you have to figure out your next path because you don't want to get lost and you just hear it just sort of reforming behind you and you know it's not ever going to be that far away and I love that dynamic of it the sound is exquisite in those moments you know it was a little bit sound trigger in that original game but it is on a whole other level you know? The first time that you realize that the ghost can basically smash itself through a door yeah. is fucking terrifying. Because I like ran through a door while I was being pursued, turned around, slammed it in his face, and was like, fuck you. I can take my time now and search for this gear piece to you know, get through the next area. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I just see like chunks of wood flying off of the door and whatnot. Um, it was terrifying. But also, you know, I forget what the exact terminology is for it, but it might be spatial audio, but it has... Uh, an improved audio design. Binaural or something like that, isn't it? Something along those lines. But it was, you know, so much more involving that every, and it's not always like the life or death stakes where I'm like, oh, I have to listen for when the spirit is reforming itself. It's more just like, oh, if I hear a squeak of a rat behind me or something, I'll turn in that direction. And then like a window or slam in another direction or something like that. And it makes, again, retracing these steps that we've already done multiple times, it just, it fills you with a new sense of tension, I think, which kind of, again, speaks to the importance of something like audio design. It's also noteworthy that the music is updated by Arek Rakowski, uh, the composer. And, you know, it still has that classic, of course, uh, Layers of Fear uh, theme and whatnot. But just more importantly, you know, it feels like, the music is attuned almost a little bit better to specific moments in that the score kicks in just at the right moments. It feels like the audio is cueing the player a little bit more to moments of importance um, than in the previous game. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like 
a lot of the time sound design kind of gets overlooked in the grand scheme of conversation, whether it's games or whether it's movies or whatever. But here, you know, when you're revisiting something now, you know, especially with the original Layers of Fear, this is probably the fourth time I've played it. It felt partially like a new experience, Mm -hmm. even though, you know, largely I'm familiar with what my options are. But at the same time, it's the type of thing where those little audio cues can kind of like deviate my attention to something that perhaps previously I wouldn't have given attention to. And then all of a sudden I'm going through a door that I didn't go through the last three playthroughs and then potentially will uh, allow me to have a new conclusion or a new end piece to uh, a certain chapter or whatnot. And by that same token, it's noteworthy that um, the game will allow you to fast forward to certain points in the story to make different choices, which then can affect the ending that you get. Um, which was something previously like I would never go back normally and play a game just to make different choices. But this time around, I did actually do that to just to see what a different ending mm. might look like. Yeah. They were a bit too subtle in the original game as well, where you had these yeah. playing choices and like the encounters with the spirit of brief, you know, very brief mm-hmm. to the point that, you know, I was talking to my son about it. who would only recently watched me replay the original. They're like, I don't remember there being a spirit. Original game, yeah, because it is just that brief. Now it's like you can't can walk for seeing a spirit every five seconds at some point. Yeah, yeah. That that audio yeah is binaural sound, by the way, which is basically replicating that if you have headphones in, it feels like live sound. Yeah, because you hear it exactly where it should be. I can't appreciate that quite as well as most people, I might add, but I I still yeah think that the sound design is still very good anyway. Yeah, it's one of those things that I think. While we have established that some elements of recontextualizing and repackaging the series as a whole could have used a little bit more work, in terms of my overall thoughts on it, um, this stands out as being an example of how I think developers can, you know, not only strengthen a series or multiple games from, you know, a narrative standpoint, a gameplay standpoint, but you're able to bolster certain design elements such as sound, as we've been saying, Mm -hmm. that, you know, perhaps get overlooked. But more importantly, you know, when you look at when the original game was released, that was 2016. That was seven years ago. So the advancements that we've made in that time with technology and these things can give certain games, I suppose, you know, a second breath, if you will, in some regards, in terms of re-experiencing them. Because, again, it's part of what makes the final note work so well is that, that's the third time you've been asked to go through the same house and it is still as refreshing as the inheritance was. And it feels as refreshing as going through the house for the first time because the environment is reflective of the new subject's point of view, their trauma, their turmoil, but also the presentation is, has the added benefit of unreal five. And also again, the sound design, which I think overall bolsters the entire experience probably in ways that we don't even realize and it'll probably take maybe another playthrough to fully appreciate it. But, you know, I think also the new additions give the second game in the series layers of fear Two, a game that still we're sort of so, so on, it can still allow that game to maybe be a little bit more elevated in our eyes than it was the first time around through those additions or through those improvements. Some of them are, a little more subtle and could have been a little more obvious or you had more attention given to them. But at the end of the day, in my opinion, I find that layers of fear 2023 in the way that other remakes have been making the rounds over the years and showing how the bar is continually being raised. If you're looking at a collection of games or experiences and bringing them together, you know, something like the narrative of the lighthouse tying it all together Mm -hmm. It seems like a smart approach at the very least, right? It's not always going to be the type of thing that nails it every single time. Certain parts could be a little rougher than others. But, you know, for my money, this seems like the most ideal way to approach this series because of the fact that it is taking all these different things and bringing it into this singular experience that seems to be the best representation of it as a whole. Yeah, it it does just very much feel like this is what we learned. We're trying to make this the definitive version of this. I mean, I don't think it's the most definitive send-off for Layers of Fear if you get to say this is the end. But, you know, I think if you are trying to show your progress as a studio from then to now, it works perfectly. And I think what it does do really well 
is show that in the last seven years they have gone this far really problems or not and especially on a technical level and it shows promise for the future yeah i think the big worry has always been about you know, going from what they're doing now to doing something like silent hill 2 whatever they do no matter how much guidance they get it's tricky but i think especially with that new story you know in the original game story there's real fire shown to create that kind of psychological horror that is more about psychology rather than the horror you know, inherent that I think will work quite well in their favour as a developer. So I'm actually coming out of this a lot more confident for that, you know, which is everything this game needed to achieve for me. I think it really did. Um, don't go into this game thinking about in terms of how scary it is. I think it has moments of intensity, absolutely, especially the first game, which I think was lacking in a bit of that because of how hands-off it felt a lot of the time. But yeah, it was telling a story, and that's fine. The addition of this you know, stalking spirit in certain sections really does just push it to a different level. Might not be for everyone. Uh, I, I definitely didn't like it to begin with, I must say, yeah, because I was like, mm, no, I like, I kind of just wanted to be comforted and familiar in the story I already knew. But then I quickly realised that's the point. I don't want, I shouldn't want to feel comfortable. Because, yeah. Yeah, I shouldn't <laughs> want to feel like, oh, it's the remake of the game I like. You know, do something different. It's bold. It's taking a different direction, and that's a good sign. A, a really good sign. Yeah, it shows a great deal of, I think maturity in terms of how the studio has grown over the years. Um, and I think that in terms of making what is sort of the definitive way to re-experience their past games in this series is great. But more importantly, I think that being able to implement change to something that, you know, you're revisiting and make it land more often than it doesn't mm. is a good example of a studio that really has grown. And I think that is, clearly learned a great deal over the course of, you know, the almost 10 years since the last Layers of Fear was released. But more importantly, you know, allowing it to be an experience that is indicative of that growth, not just from a gameplay, but also from a narrative standpoint, which you and I are both on record as saying that there have been some examples of Bluebird team games that narratively have, you know, definitely had some shortcomings. And if anything, their tackling of the final note, that chapter and as a whole I mean, that's basically sold me on them doing Silent Hill 2 and yeah. the fact that they can tell these stories that are not so much focused on, you know, the overt horror, but more importantly, the psychological horror, as yes. you mentioned. Um, so I think that, yeah, when it comes to something like Layers of Fear, which is a crazy undertaking, when you stop and think about mm. it, the fact they've com they've taken not only two full-fledged games, but you have these two other chapters and this new narrative that kind of wraps everything together and put it into one package yeah. is uh, a pretty monumental undertaking. And the fact that it turned out as good as it did um, just, you know, it bodes well, I think for the future Bluebird team and furthermore, you know, who's to say they won't be able to revisit other projects perhaps that uh, well, we have not been as keen on and given some types of uh, modernizing or perhaps a reappraisal of how certain elements were uh, handled. Yeah. I mean, in a way it makes sense because, well, they did it to a smaller degree with Observer, where they made system redux, which was very much the template for what they're doing here. But this is, yeah, absolutely on a whole other level. I think uh, the Hell Venture is definitely seen here in having an outside studio coming to sort of help smooth over when they've got bigger fish to fry. Um, yeah, great to see. Uh, I mean, remakes aren't always needed. And uh, yeah, I still question in terms of like, the first game, I don't think you really needed a remake, but you know, I think it doesn't make it irrelevant or, or pointless. You know, it has something about it that makes it a meaningful thing to come back to. There's enough different, enough added that you can say, yeah, okay, they did something worthwhile with this as a project. Whether whatever you get out of it, it still went for something. Yeah, it's hard not to applaud something that's more than just a graphical update. Yeah. Granted, I'd probably play through this still if it was just, oh, hey, we're remaking these in 
Unreal 5 and all the graphical advantages that come with that. But to go the extra steps that they did, um, I think is definitely commendable. And it kind of shows the, I suppose, importance of utilizing a remake or reimagining more so than, and granted, the trend has been moving away from the idea that remakes are largely just utilizing new tech. Yeah. It's updating, whether it's from a gameplay standpoint, narratively, or otherwise. Um, but yeah, this is, again, you know, an example, I think, of the trend of remakes being more than just the sort of go-to of like, well, we're just going to update this and just cash out on something that worked back in the past. Yeah. So it's nice to see a studio that's taking these risks outside of just, you know, graphical advancements and whatnot. But, you know, that's going to do it for us for this week. We'll be back next week with June's edition of The Inventory, our monthly review show, in which we'll be covering uh, a bevy of new AAA and indie horror titles that we will uh, be announcing on Twitter. Uh, we're going to start doing that a little bit more, I think, just announcing them ahead of time yeah. uh, and whatnot so that people can get back to us with uh, their thoughts on a game that we're going to cover or you know games they've been enjoying in a given month. But as always, Neil, it's a pleasure chatting horror with you for Safe Room. As ever. Until the next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. You can also join our Discord channel, Safe Room Podcast, to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we love. You can send emails to saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.